The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Let's turn together to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is on page 914 in the Pew Bibles, and we pick up in our study through this book on Sunday evenings. If you are like me, a digital, or if you are like me, not a digital native, then you are, like me, probably finding yourself at times getting lost in internet slang. And there's a, there's a whole language of letters and phrases that sort of capture some of the nuances of online communication. Things like LOL, SMH, IRL, IDK, and more and more like that. By the way, BTW. Um, that is probably the only text abbreviation that I, I will ever use is BTW. And so that tells you right away where I am as far as being old and illiterate when it comes to internet slang. That's, that's where I am. But perhaps, perhaps the letters that best capture the direction and the sense of modern communication are the four letters T-L-D-R. Too long, didn't read. Sometimes it can come at the end of a long post online. Sometimes it can come at the end of a response, and it can be there as, as a sarcastic comment, or sometimes it can be there as a really a helpful summary, a summary of some of the main, main points, the, the big ideas that the writer is trying to communicate. And in a world of sound bites and hot takes and short attention spans, TLDR is a way to get the information that you need quickly. It gets to the point in just a few words. Now, we never want to take a TLDR approach to God's Word, but when it comes to short, simple summaries of what's going on, we find several of those scattered throughout the book of Acts. And one of those we're going to come to tonight in verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase. That is a major focus of the book of Acts. That with all the things that are going on, all the things that are taking place, all of the oppression and the opposition that the apostles are facing... The Word of God continued to grow, to increase, to go out. And we find that in chapter 12, verse 24, in chapter 13, verse 49, chapter 19, verse 20, all the way to the very last words of this book in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, where Paul is in Rome and he is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness, and without hindrance. And so the book of Acts ends in an open-ended way, and the, the word that has been growing and spreading and increasing is continuing to grow and to increase and to spread and to go out. And so if you've missed the first few sermons in the book of Acts, this is what's going on. This is the TLDR. The word of God is going out, and the church is growing. And what we find in these verses, in the opening verses of chapter 6, we find a snapshot. It's a snapshot of the priorities of that growing church 
in the book of Acts. The priorities of the church in light of some of the problems that came about because of the growing church that was there. So three things I want us to see tonight as we approach uh, Acts chapter 6. Number one is a ministry duty. Number two, a ministry distraction. And then number three, a ministry devoted to Christ. So before we see those things, let's go to God and ask for his help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we heard at the call to worship, that your word goes out and it does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so we ask that you would accomplish the purpose for which you sent your word tonight, and that by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears, help us to understand Help us to be convicted, help us to be encouraged, help us to see Christ, that we would see our need for him and his all-sufficiency, and would you help us to serve you in all that we do in light of those things. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. First, a ministry duty. There's something about this passage that seems very uneventful, unspectacular even. We could be tempted to think that there's nothing miraculous, that there's nothing supernatural happening in these verses. After all, nobody speaks in tongues. Nobody leaps up and walks after being paralyzed from birth. There are no people being struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. There are no angels opening up the prison doors and setting the captives free. All we have here is an administrative matter. This is basically all of the excitement of a congregational meeting. And I wonder if anyone said, do we have a quorum present? I wonder if there were any whereases there. Whereas, 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 therefore be it resolved. We don't know. But this, that's what this is. This is a, a congregational meeting. It's a meeting to deal with a problem. It's a meeting to come up with a plan for taking care of a particular ministry need. And that need, that problem in this case, 
is related to a complaint. It's a complaint that the Hellenists, widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, we don't know exactly who the Hellenist widows were. Hellenist just means having to do with Greeks. Uh, so even today, the, the country of Greece is known as Hellas or Helada. And so the Hellenists are either those who they spoke Greek or perhaps they had lived somewhere outside of Judea in the Greek-speaking world, or maybe they were those who had adopted Greek customs and traditions. Whatever, the, whatever it was, we, we have here in Jerusalem two groups. There are the Hebrew Jews and the Hellenist Jews. And the Hellenist Jews, the Hellenist widows, are being neglected in the daily distribution. And now we don't really even know what that daily distribution was either. But surely it had something related to what we saw previously in the book of Acts, how the the disciples at that time had come together and they were sharing their resources and they were giving so that no one was in need. And if there was any example of need, if, if there was any cause for true concern, it was for a Hellenist widow. I was listening to a, a ministry podcast once and the host said that that he had found, what he had found to be one of the most effective ministry outreaches among church members was something that addressed many different problems all at one time. And what he identified as, as the most meaningful outreach opportunity for his church was foster care. And he says that, that foster care connects people to the heart of so many different needs and concerns, and that when people get involved in fostering children, they are often confronting many different issues. Issues related to poverty, and addiction, and race, and health care, and justice, and public policy, all while taking care of the most vulnerable and the most helpless among us. Well, that's the same thing with these Hellenist widows in Jerusalem in the early church. There, there were multiple concerns that needed to be addressed with this particular group. This is ministry to women. It was ministry to the poor and to the hungry. And it was ministry to a cross-cultural minority. And you've probably heard something about the status of women and something about the vulnerability of widows in the ancient world. Just think about Ruth in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth. And about how when Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab into Bethlehem as widows, as two widows, you remember what Naomi said to the women there who greeted them. She said, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. That was their experience as two widows. And you remember that it was Ruth who went out to to glean in the field along the edges of Boaz's field among the poor. Why? Because she was among the poor. She was a poor widow. She was in need. That's the experience of widows in the ancient world. And though this is a different time, to be sure, 
These Hellenist widows that we meet in Acts chapter 6 are some of the most needy and, the, some, of, and some of the most overlooked members of that society. And that's exactly why we find multiple times over and over again in the Bible so many places that stress the obligation of caring for widows. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in this holy habitation. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 1, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And what is it that James writes in James chapter 1 about true religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, the care of widows has a clear biblical mandate. This was a worthy cause, if ever there was one. This was an urgent need. This was real ministry. This is meeting tangible, material needs in a way that is doing good to those who need it most. But do you know what else we find about this ministry need in in this chapter? We also find that it was a distraction. It was a distraction from the ministry of the word and prayer. That's the second thing we see in this passage is a ministry distraction. Now, I mentioned earlier that it doesn't seem like there's anything miraculous going on in this passage, but can you spot the miraculous? Can you spot the supernatural in these seven verses? It's at the beginning, and it's at the end of the verses that we just read. It's like a bracket. It's like the bookends of this story. And in verse 1, it says that in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. Then verse 7 the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That is the supernatural work of God. Just as much as the healing of the sick, just as much as the healing of those who were afflicted with unclean spirits was a supernatural work of God, this is the supernatural work of God. The Holy Spirit was at work to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit that was at work to give people new life, to give the lost new life in Christ and to make them disciples of Jesus. And here it was in the the opening parts of the book of Acts. It's happening in this explosive way. Don't forget that. Don't forget that any time anyone comes to faith in Jesus for salvation, it's a miracle. It's a supernatural work of God, a mighty work of God, and that's what's happening here. But you see what's going on in these verses is there's a threat to all of that. And the threat to the growth of the church that we find in these verses is what happens between verse 1 and verse 7. You know, somewhere along the way, I don't know if it's elementary school, junior high, we learn the basic elements of a story. The basic elements of a plot, it's things like rising action, climax, falling action, and resolution. But really, if you, if you boil it down, if you narrow it all down to the essence, it's really about conflict and resolution. Well, the conflict in this story 
is the obligation to minister to the needs of the Hellenist widows. That's the thing that could jeopardize the growth and the harmony of the early church. And we've already seen several attempts to mess that up. We've seen it with the chief priests, the elders, the rulers that had come and they had arrested the apostles. They put them in prison. They threatened them. They beat them. They charged them not to teach any more about Jesus. But did it work? No, they said we must obey God rather than man. And they went out and they preached the word with all boldness. And then there was Ananias and Sapphira. And you remember it was by their deception and their fraud against the church from within the body of believers. It was their hypocrisy, their, their lies that undermined the truth of the word. It undermined the fellowship of the believers. And yet their sin was rooted out in a dramatic way, you remember. But now here, it's not persecution. And it's not hypocrisy that's the problem. What's the problem? It's a good cause. It's a worthy ministry that needs to be dealt with in order to enable the church to continue to grow in the way that it has. And C.S. Lewis has written somewhere about the perceived lack of, of demon possession or unclean spirits in our experience. And he says something like, why is there a need to ruin a person with a demon when the temptations of sex and drink can do just as well. And there's something like that happening here. Why threaten the church with force and deception when a good cause could accomplish the very same things? Now that's, that's dangerous. That's a, that is so subtle that an, an unquestioned good deed, taking care of widows in their affliction could become a distraction, that it could become a liability to Jesus' followers. But that's exactly what we find in these verses, because in the first place, we find that there's grumbling that, is, that exists among this body of believers. If you look at verse 1, it says that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, that word for complaint in Greek is Gonguzmas. And it kind of sounds like what it is. It's sort of a, a low rumbling sound that's reverberating through people's ears. It, it, it's translated as, as grumbling or murmuring or behind the scenes talk. And we know what kind of problem that type of grumbling has done throughout Israel's history. Think about how the people grumbled against Moses and undermined his leadership. Think about how the grumbling in the Old Testament divided the people and led them into disobedience to God. Grumbling is a, a serious issue. And this complaint, this grumbling in Acts chapter 6 could do the very same thing. It could undermine the apostles' leadership and it could fracture the church into two different groups, the, the Hebrew Christians and the Hellenist Christians. You see, this grumbling, it is no small thing, and I think we should pause and we would do well to take stock of our own speech, to take stock of our own speech when it comes to church leadership and church decisions and ministry needs and even just personal differences and personal preferences. It may very well be that our speech is a much bigger problem than we'd like to think that it is even 
even when the complaint is valid. Even when it's a valid complaint, we have to be careful about the way that we address it. Because what we see secondly in these verses is that even a worthwhile cause could become a distraction to the core ministry of preaching the word of God. And that's, that's really the second thing, the second way that this good work of caring for widows could become a distraction to the spread of the gospel. How? It's by distracting the apostles from preaching the gospel. You see, the twelve, the apostles, they, they bring everyone together, and they said in verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And there was an obvious commitment that was being called for. There's a commitment of time to do two things. One is to be is to come up with a plan, to come up with a solution, and to carry it out. And the second part of it is to actually do the hands-on labor, or maybe a combination of the both, of both of those things. That the apostles are being called upon to come up with a plan and to carry it out. And yet, for them to do both of those things, for the apostles to commit themselves to serving the widows in that way, it would distract them from serving the, the widows and everyone else with the preaching of the good news of the Word of God. And so what they do? They instructed the full number of the disciples to pick out from among them seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, to be appointed to the task of caring for these widows. Verse 5 says, that what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these seven men, they set before the apostles, they prayed for them, they laid hands on them, and they set them apart for the work of ministering to the needs of these Hellenistic widows. Now, some people will say that these were the first deacons in the church. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that, but I, I think it, it does seem like what one commentator says, that this distinction of ministry that we find here in these verses, this distinction of ministry would set the precedent for the later establishment of the office of deacons as separate from the office of elders in the church. And the word that we find for daily distribution in this passage is the Greek word diakonia. It's the word from which we get diaconate or deacon. And the verb form of that word is found when it talks about serving tables. The word for serving is the verb form of diakonia. That's what they're called to do. These men are being set apart to serve, to take care of tangible, material needs of the believers that had gathered there at that time. And yet at the same time, the work that the apostles are doing is also a diaconia. It is a service of preaching. It's what verse 4 calls the ministry of the word. And the reason that Stephen and Philip and the others are set apart for the work of serving tables is so that the apostles can do what they say in verse 4 but we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. You know, I got a bulletin uh, the other day, and I was looking through, scanning through the announcements. And as usual, there are a lot of good things going on. There are crates for Ukraine, and there's the safety and care of our children in the nursery. There's Serve Day and serving ministries in our community. There's One Sunday and the a focus on, on stewardship and our finances. And those are all good things, all things that are, are, are necessary and important. But you know what? They could all become a distraction. They could all become a distraction from the ministry of prayer and of preaching the word. And that's why it's so important that there are some who are called to put their spiritual gifts to work and to use their God-given wisdom to take care of the needs of others and to care for those who are neglected. It's so that the word can continue to be preached. The word can continue to go out. In fact, that's what gives such dignity and such value to ministries that may seem like they are very menial and mundane. It's, it allows others to be devoted to the word, and to the ministry of prayer. And this passage is a reminder to us. It's a reminder of how much we need the word. We, we can be busy with a lot of things, a lot of good things, and not just church things. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be work, our health, our hobbies. But in our busyness, and in our time commitments, can't we find that so often we can become distracted and we can be taken away from the ministry of the word and, of, and from prayer? The apostles are protecting that. The apostles are protecting their ministry because that's what the people need. That's what we need. We have to guard ourselves from letting plenty of good things distract us from sitting under the word of God and bowing before him in prayer. We have to guard ourselves from all sorts of subtle distractions. But that's not it. Because thirdly, we also have to guard ourselves against making the mistake of having an either-or mentality. Because it's both the word and deed that matter in the ministry of the church. And that's the Third thing I want us to see is a, a ministry. It's all a ministry devoted to Christ. We, we talked about the conflict in this story. What's the resolution? The, resolu the conflict The conflict is the need to care for the Hellenist widows. The, the resolution is the setting apart of the seven men for the purpose of caring for those widows. And then we read in verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You know, we live in, in such a partisan, divided culture. So much is viewed as a, a zero-sum game. And it's either you're, you're either all with me or you're against me completely. And we, may, we tend to think sometimes that if something is a good opportunity for others, it's taking away an opportunity for us. We think in ways like, if I like dogs, then I can't like cats. But that's crazy. 
And we live with this, in this either-or kind of culture. But this passage is all about both and. It's both the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And it's both the twelve, the apostles, and the full number of the disciples, the whole congregation. And it's both spiritual fruit and wisdom. It's the, the heart and the head that are engaged in ministry. And it's both word and deed. And you see the continued increase in the number of the disciples in Jerusalem depended on both the preaching of the word with prayer and the care of the neglected. Both were required. And too often, we want to make sharp distinctions between loving the truth and doing justice. And we say things like, well, that church over there is all about the social gospel. It's all about works without grace, but they're missing the true marks of the church. And that may be true. But that doesn't let us off the hook in caring for our own and helping to meet the needs of the most vulnerable among us. And maybe we have to ask ourselves, where are the vulnerable among us? And do we have room in our fellowship for the poor and the neglected, the overlooked, and the messy? Jack Miller, in his, his book, Outgrowing the Ingrown Church, he, he calls out our tendency sometimes to rest on a religious cushion. And he talks about a comfortable, passive Christianity in which sometimes our churches can become merely preaching stations. But that's not what we have in the church in the book of Acts. And there is a priority, and there is a protection on the ministry of the word, on the preaching of the gospel. But there's also a commitment to the ministry of caring for those in need. Because that's the love of Jesus. And in, in his love, his grace, his salvation is both body and soul. It's the whole person. It's the whole person. You have to understand why Jesus came. Understand why Jesus died and rose again. It was to set us free from sin and death. It was to restore us to God and to restore our soul. And Jesus said, I have come to preach, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. But he also said, in the very next line, he said, but he had come to release the captives. And he had come to give sight to the blind and to liberate the oppressed. That's what's offered to us in the gospel. That's what's offered to us in Jesus. It is a complete salvation. It is a whole gospel for the whole person. Isn't that what we need? In our brokenness, in our hearts, in our souls, in the, in the brokenness and fragility of our bodies, don't we need something that gives us hope? body and soul restored forever in the presence of God. That's what the gospel gives us. It's a, whole, it's a whole gospel for the whole person. 
And the church is called to carry out that ministry, the ministry of Christ, until he comes. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me dress. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the disciples said, when did we see you in in all of those things, and when did we do those things to you? Truly I say to you, Jesus said, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come before you and to proclaim the gospel and to hear your word preached. We thank you also for the privilege of being able to care for those in need. Would you give us hearts of compassion? Would you give us eyes with wisdom to see and to detect those who are in need around us? And give us the resources and the right people in the right places to care and to demonstrate the love of Christ in our community. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we ask that you would help us to do those things for your glory, to display the glory in the name of Christ, and that you would compel others to come. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.